Would you remain standing for the reading of God's word? We have come to the end of our Hebrew series. Our passage this morning is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 25. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, that's page 1010. While you're finding that, we have been blessed to listen in to this letter sermon to a group of believers, Jewish of background, quite possibly in or around Rome, who are struggling and suffering. And the author, over and over again, led by the Spirit, has continued to do what the Spirit does best, point to Christ. So let's ask that the Spirit now would be with us, that we would hear the Lord's word now. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send your greeting, you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, you are the giver of every good gift. And we thank you for your word. Because in your word, we hear and we see you. Speaking and at work to bring redemption, to offer new life. Lord, speak to us in these moments of reflection and study the words of life that we, your people, need. That we would not only understand them and learn them, but we would practice them and offer them to others. Help me to be your servant for that purpose this morning, I pray. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and your Savior. Amen. The great philosopher Mary Poppins said, A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. And so understands the author of the book of Hebrews as he writes this letter to this beloved house church. For he's been serving up some strong medicine throughout this letter. And so he says in verse 22, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. This was before the days of text messages. Briefly meant something different back then. But he knows that his word of exhortation has been weighty and full and strong. He says, I appeal to you, bear with my exhortation. It has been strong medicine. Because some are dealing with their uncertainty, with discord, with struggle. It seems that some have, or are at least considering, turning away from Christ as their hope for salvation. He's warned them that there is no authority greater than Jesus. Jesus is greater than the angels, the prophets. He's greater than Moses. There is no means of salvation apart from Jesus. It is not the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, but it points 
to Jesus. And so to turn away from Jesus, whether to the things offered by the world or to the Old Testament forms that they were familiar with, was to turn away from salvation itself. The remedy, the medicine, in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their ailment, is to hold firm to Christ. To cling to him in faith as a sure hope and anchor for the soul. The rehab for the injuries dished out as they walk in the world is not to sit back and relax on the couch, but to have physical therapy of continuing to walk it out, to walk forward as pilgrims, looking forward to the city built not by human hands, but the city built by God. He's written this letter in exhortation to them that they might be blessed. And so he shows this desire for them in these verses, in 20 to 21, as he prays these words. It is a sweet ending. It is an expression of his heartfelt desire for their good and their comfort and their well-being. He has a heart for this group whom he encourages with the knowledge that Timothy, quite likely the Timothy that we are familiar with from the letters of Paul, will be released and will hopefully see them soon. He says, good news, Timothy and I hope to see you. Grace to you. Here's my prayer of benediction. For really it is that, as most of the English Bibles label it, a benediction. It is a prayer for God's blessing upon his people. It's a heartfelt prayer for a people beloved by the one who writes this letter. It's a parting blessing for a pilgrim people. Just as we might say safe travels or Godspeed when friends or family depart from our home to go on a journey, so he gives them this final blessing as they go on their pilgrimage. As the early believers who received this letter and us today listen in, as we continue on our journey, let us receive the encouragement. Let us receive the blessing of this prayer. We're going to look at the source of the blessing that he prays. The means of the blessing as we go on our way and the nature of this blessing prayed for. What is the source of blessing? The source of blessing, the one who can bless and benefit this church and us today is God. And that seems, well, fairly obvious. And actually, in the ancient world, everyone understood that blessing came from the divine. Whether they worshipped Yahweh or a whole panoply of gods, they knew that the good things in life, or they continued to, to hope for the fact that the good things in life came from pleasing their God. That's not the surprising part. But what I want us to attend to in this prayer is how God, whom is the source of this blessing, is referred to. He says, Now, may the God of peace. There's in that title for God a comfort and a challenge for us this morning. Let's start with the comfort. The comfort is that God is a God of peace. That God offers peace. Peace not as we tend to think of it as an absence of conflict, but a full-orbed flourishing. 
For a group of Jesus followers who are facing hardship and struggle, opposition and uncertainty, this is a helpful reminder. God offers salvation. God offers peace. God is the one who brings unity where there is division. God is the one that brings calm when there is strife. He is the one that brings plenty when there is famine. The one that offers forgiveness and justice where there is wrongdoing. The one that brings life where there had only been death. And as this letter has hinted at the increased pressure and danger from persecution, this prayer reiterates that God will bless, that God will save, because God is the God of peace, of full flourishing in him. But let's acknowledge the challenge that comes with calling God the God of peace because if he is the God of peace why are our lives so very often lives of chaos and maybe that's what the house church might have been feeling at that moment if God is the God of peace and salvation if he rescues us out of violence and out of lack and out of sin why do we see so much strife in our daily lives so let me take you to to the coast not to the, to the sunny, warm coasts of the south where many people are going to the beach right now, but, but to, the, to the beaches north of us, to Maine and similar places, to where the white water and roaring surf of the ocean crashes upon the rocky shore. Who is responsible for the splash and the foam and the spray? Is it the rock or the waters which throw themselves against the rock in a frenzy of wind and tide. Away from the rocky coast of Maine, now think to the rocky coasts of the lakes and ponds that dot our fair New Hampshire. Just as rocky, the water is there, but what's the difference? Where there is not that spray and that white water, it is the lack of the water being whipped up by wind and tides. The difference there is the relationship of the water to the rock. Even though we might want to experience peace, and God is the God of peace, we live in a world driven by tides and wind of opposition to the rock. And until everything that stands in opposition to God is put to rest until Jesus comes again and finally says, be still, stop, as he did on the stormy sea, we will experience upheaval. Sometimes the splash is because we are resting in the God of peace and the world is throwing itself at the rock in whom we find rest. Until that day, if we are to seek peace, if we are to have hope, and if we are to experience comfort, we do it not out in the tumultuous sea that throws itself against the rock of salvation. As those who seek peace and want comfort, this prayer points us not only toward God as the source of peace, but away from the present offerings of the world of peace. For as long as we live in a world opposed to the rule of God, there cannot be ultimate peace. Jesus in John 14, 27 said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not 
as the world gives, do I give it to you? We might listen to soothing music through headphones. We might experience a beautiful day at the beach, a walk in the woods. We might have financial security or obedient, peaceful children. And those are all good blessings that we might experience along the way and give us a momentary experience of peace, but they are never the source of peace. If we are looking for blessing, if we are looking for rest, we need to ask ourselves, where are we looking for that peace, for that blessing from? It comes from God. Look nowhere else. We can have the most peace, even as the world is at war, at chaos, when we are looking to the one from whom all peace comes. God is the God of blessing. He is the source that we go to for blessing. But how do we get that blessing? What is the means of that blessing that God offers? God is the God who offers peace. He is the one that offers salvation, an end to all that disrupts peace. But the fullness of that blessing he offers comes only to those in relationship to him, in covenant relationship with him. And so how can those who are apart from God, those who are distanced, those who are at odds with God, experience a blessed state? The passage reminds us it's only through Jesus. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. We're going to unpack the particulars requested, but verse 21 makes it clear that our blessings come through Jesus. May he equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. If there's unresolved tension in the hearts of the readers of Hebrews about Jesus, he is here described as the one that God has brought again to life from the dead. The Lord God of Israel, the one that led them out of Egypt, the one that led them to the promised land, the one that gave them victory over the Canaanites, the one that in righteous judgment sent them into captivity and then brought them back again. He is the one that has raised Jesus from the dead. It is testimony to the fact that Jesus is the acceptable and sufficient sacrifice. That Jesus provides the blood of the covenant. That Jesus is the one that assures the people that they can have right relationship with the God who blesses. It's no good for God to be a source of blessing. It's no good for there to be a fountain of eternal life. There's no good for there being the, the golden city of El Dorado if we don't have access to it. God raises Jesus from the dead, saying he is the one whose blood is acceptable as the means for you to come into blessed relationship with The journey towards blessing in God is a blood-red route in the blood of Christ for us. This is the first and only reference to resurrection in the book of Hebrews, not because resurrection is unimportant, but because the whole book has been about what the resurrection confirms, that Jesus is the Son of God. 
He is the Son of God in power. He is the high priest who offers the acceptable sacrifice of himself for once and for all. We have blessed entrance into relationship with God through Jesus. Jesus is not only the means to blessing in God as our entry point into a blessed relationship with God, but he is the means to our experience of ongoing blessing. For he is described here as the shepherd of the sheep. He is the one who protects the sheep. Jesus is the one who feeds them. He is the one that leads them. In Isaiah 63, 11, as the prophet reflects on what God had done among his people, Moses was described as a shepherd of the sheep with very similar language. But if we read it, Psalm seventy-seven twenty, it says of the Lord, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron were under shepherds. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep who leads us not from Egypt to Canaan, but from slavery of sin and death to eternal life and peace in the city not built by human hands, but the city built for peace by the God of peace. Jesus brings us in as the one who goes behind the curtain, as the forerunner, as chapter 620 tells us. He is already seated at the right hand of God in power, as chapter 12, verse 2 tells us. He knows the way. He will lead us into fruitful relationship with God. We walk the walk, not alone, but led, shepherded by the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Our experience of blessing is sure if we are looking to Christ as the means to receive it. So the question is, do we look to Jesus as the means of blessing? Or do we look somewhere else? Do we say, God, you are the God of peace. God, you are the God of salvation. God, you can bless me. Look how good I've been this week. God, look how good my marriage is. Look how well my children behave. Have you seen how my 401k is doing? Brothers and sisters, I point those tendencies out in you and in me not to shame you, but because those means to blessing are empty because there will come a day when your children are not behaving, when your 401k is not performing, when your business tanks. And if you think that your behavior, if you think that your success, if you think that your faithfulness is the means by which you will experience God's blessing, then you will miss out on blessing. Because nothing that we do is good enough. That's why God provides Jesus. So that everything that is necessary for blessing, obedience, wisdom, Life, love for God is given to us because it is Jesus' perfect life and obedience offered to us. When we do realize that our hope in our, as a means to blessing might be placed somewhere else, are we quick then to repent and turn back to Jesus? Because part of the good news that our way to blessing is Jesus is that he is patient, that Jesus is merciful, 
He is ready to gather wandering sheep to go after the one, leaving behind the 99 so that in gathering the one, he might celebrate the restoration of the flock. We find salvation, we find blessing through the shepherd, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Now we come to the nature of the blessing. What is the blessing that the author of Hebrews prays for this people whom he loves? That they would walk in the will of the Lord. God is the God of peace and salvation. So does our experience of God's blessing mean we just have to wait? We just need to gut it out. We just need to wait and endure. And one day, when we finally pass by and by, when we go into heaven and God ushers in the new kingdom, then we will have blessing. The nature of this prayer is for a present blessing, according to the working of the God of peace through Christ. It's not just a distant thing, in terms of time. It's not just an ephemeral, purely spiritual thing. No, the prayer is that God would equip us with everything good. That God would equip us with everything good. The prayer is that God would give us good things. And this reminds us that there are so many good things in the world, and where do they come from? They come from God. Our work, our friendships, Good food, health, art, knowledge, they all come from God. And when God made the world and everything in it, he repeatedly called it good. God doesn't just say, you know what, you're walking through a a desert wasteland on your pilgrimage to the holy city, I hope that somehow you can grin and bear it through. He doesn't throw us like Bear grills into the wilderness and hope that we can use a pocket knife and some twine to make it through. We have been placed in a garden. This world was meant for beauty and fruitfulness. And yes, it is stained by sin. Yes, it is corrupted. Yes, it is decomposing with the stench of death upon it, but God's good gifts are still available to us as we go along the way. He gives them to us in Jesus. Notice the extent of the blessing. This this pastor who cares for this church as he prays for these Christians who are struggling in their faith says this, may he equip you with everything good. Not would just God give you good things. Would God give you the bare minimum? He says, would God give you everything good? This is the heart of a pastor who knows the heart of God. Because if man is willing to feed our children, to give our children bread instead of a stone, fish instead of a serpent, how much more so will God provide for us, his children? Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? God is not a stingy God of peace. 
God is not a stingy God of blessing. He has given the most precious thing in his eyes to and for us in Jesus. And so he is willing in his wisdom, according to what is best for us, to give us everything good. What does he give it for? He prays that God would grant us to equip us with everything good that we might do his will. That he would work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. God who made this world made it for his glory. Made it for his enjoyment and gave of it to Adam and Eve and through them to us that we might enjoy God. That we might work in it. That we might display the glory of God. He gives all good gifts with a purpose that we might know and delight in him. The nature of blessing is to receive from God, according to his grace, what allows us to do what we were meant for. To honor him in our lives, to walk with him according to his will. God gives us so that we can care for the poor because it mirrors his character. God gives us abilities to work because God created and he made us as workers. God gives us relationships because he is a triune God and he wants us to manifest his love in the way that we love one another. True blessing, brothers and sisters, is not just the consequences of relationship with God, but is ultimately relationship with God manifest in being with him and like him. We were made for God. Many of us know what it's like to feel like we may, might be made for something. We're made for the outdoors. We're, we're made for business. We're, we're, we're made for cooking. We're, we're made for dancing. Whatever it might be that we feel that we are uniquely designed for, all of those things that we are made for are for God. And so when God gives us money, it's not so that we can feel financially secure, but that we might steward it and give in a way that shows the generosity of God. When we pray for the blessing of unity, it's not so that we can say, well, look how lacking we are in discord. But the purpose is that we might demonstrate his presence in our unity and be used together in a way that we can't be used alone to serve in his name. God is the God of peace who through the blood of Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, gives us everything good for the purpose of knowing him and walking in a way pleasing to him now as we make our way to the great city that he has prepared beforehand for us. Last week I talked about my friend Michael Langer who says prayer is not the least we can do but the most we can do. Is this prayer at the ending just a little bit of sweetness at the end to help the medicine go down? Or does it serve a greater purpose? As we said, this letter was written to people struggling and suffering. They were hearing rumblings in the empire. They knew that they might have to suffer for their faith. It's likely written to Christians in or around Rome 
not too far from the time of Nero and the great persecution that came. About 30 years after this letter was likely to be written, a bishop by the name of Clement, who wrote and ministered from around Rome, wrote another letter to a group of Christians near Corinth who were struggling. And what does Clement do? He quotes from the book of Hebrews. as a means to assure and equip and strengthen his fellow believers. We don't know what happened to this particular group of Christians. We don't know what type of persecution or suffering that they endured. We don't know how many of them held on to the good news of Jesus Christ and how many showed themselves to not be in Christ. But what we do know is that the church continued. We do know that people endured suffering for the sake of Christ. We do know that he gave what was necessary for them to stand up for the truth instead of giving in to the pressures of the empire. We know that God answered this prayer. As we read Hebrews this morning, as we hear this prayer for blessing upon his people know that God answers that prayer. He answers that prayer because we have seen it evidenced in history, but brothers and sisters, we know that if we offer that prayer in Jesus for blessing on us and others, that he will answer. For God is a God of peace who has sent his Son that we might walk in a way pleasing to him. Let's pray. Dear God, you answer the prayers of your people. And we pray that we would be a people who continue on the way, turning towards you for everything that we need. That we look to you to do our work well. We look to you to forgive those who trespass against us. That we look to you for the blessings necessary to have Christ shape the way that we love not only our neighbors but our enemies. That we look to you to figure out how to vote that we look to you to know where to live, what to do with our money. Lord, would we turn to you as the source for all that we need. And would we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.